I turned it on. It is on. It's on. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I know that a number of you pray for me and the trips and the work internationally that we do. So just to, um, if I could just take a few minutes just to uh, bring some of the stories um, and uh, uh, just to keep you updated with, with what's going on. Last weekend I was in Poland, in fact, and there's a whole group of churches there, fantastic people. Um, you know, Poland's a very um, Catholic country. Uh, evangelical churches, evangelical charismatic churches like ours are few and far between. But the, um, the guy, amazingly, I, can't, I haven't got time to give you the story how we met, but uh, um, uh, in a place called Opola, um, has a church of now about 400 people. God's just moved in that place. Uh, a great uh, church has been built up. And down through the years, there have been... 20-plus churches that have been planted around Poland. Now there's a whole family of churches that uh, uh, we're very connected to. In fact, they're wanting to join up with us in New Frontiers. And Dave Devonish joined me for the first time in Poland last weekend to, um, shall I say, check them out. Um, uh, and um, I think all that's moving in a very positive, good direction. Uh, a few weeks before that, I was in Italy, and um, uh, there's uh, some great relationships that we've got in Italy, in Milan and Rome, uh, where there are two brothers who are, have started church in the last few years, brilliant uh, uh, starts to uh, new churches there in, uh, in two major cities in Italy. We also had some fellowship with some old friends of mine I've known for many, many years down there in Naples, uh, who've already established a group of 30-plus churches uh, and have uh, um, one of their key kind of um, things is that they've uh, initiated a dialogue with the Catholic Church. You know, God's moving amazingly in the Catholic Church. Uh, there are so many Catholics um, coming to Christ and... Um, uh, and, uh, you know, loving the Lord and serving the Lord. And there's uh, uh, some great fellowship being established with the Catholic Church around Europe. And uh, I'm, you know, really delighted now to be a part of that. Poland's a Catholic country. The same's happening there. Uh, the guys from Poland came with me to Italy and people from Portugal, which is also a Catholic country. And in all those places, God's beginning to move um, uh, in the Catholic Church, and um, so we're looking for that kind of dialogue, and we'll have a little involvement in that with our brothers and sisters around Europe. So that's a, a great privilege as well. Um, and uh, then at the end of last year, I was in Norway. There's a great new church plant being established in Oslo, the capital of Norway. Um, great guy, man of faith, and his wife, little children. They've just gone there in faith with nothing, no backup, no support, no nothing, just faith in God and God's calling on their lives. And they're doing a brilliant work there in Norway. And by the grace of God, we've connected up and we're doing what we can to support and help that church plant in, in Norway. There's already one church that we're connected with in a place called Lillestrom. 
um, which is just outside the capital, Oslo. Now the church plant that's taking place is right in the heart of Oslo itself. So very exciting there. Um, just to finish with my little stories, at the end of last year, um, I was in um, Armenia, and uh, we gathered our um, Russian leaders together, Russian-speaking leaders. Uh, we were to have had it in, usually we have it in either Ukraine or Russia, uh, um, but because of the conflict there, kind of focused now in East Ukraine, it's not possible for Russians and Ukraine to kind of move easily to come together. And so we had it in Armenia, out of the way, as it were, and uh, just had an amazing time in uh, um, in Armenia, um, we had a, a, after the, our kind of gathering with Russian uh, speaking leaders, which is just an amazing story in its own, it, on its own. I could spend many hours talking about that. Incredible what, what God has done in the Russian speaking world. Uh, there's now churches all over the place that we, we, um, uh, we connect with. When I first went 26 years ago to a place called Armavir in the North Caucasus between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, uh, right in the south, it's one of the southernmost places in, in uh, Russia, uh, kind of bordering, uh, that's where Chechnya is and Dagestan, where all the wars have taken place and conflict, terrorism still goes on down there. But when I first went down there 26 years ago, about 50 people gathered and um, God just amazingly met with them. And, um, and now there are, um, between the Black Sea and the, and the Caspian Sea, if you can imagine that kind of bit of the, of the, of the map, there's now about 80 churches that have been planted. It's just an amazing work of God down there, hallelujah. But many other places in Russia as well. On the way to Armenia... Um, oh, Armenia, I could tell you a lot about Armenia, but God is doing some amazing things in Armenia as well. But on the way there, I stopped off in Istanbul, uh, in Turkey, and um, uh, just met an amazing group of people. These were Kurdish um, refugees from Syria, from North Syria. They'd uh, come across... Uh, uh, out of Syria into Turkey, across Turkey to get um, on a boat over to Greece with people, smugglers and all that, Muslim people. And this family of 13 people, um, a granddad and mum and uh, children and grandchildren, they were together on this perilous journey. And um, the night before they were due to get on the boat, I don't think I've told you, I might, if I've told you this story, forgive me, but I just met these people just before Christmas but, uh, and, um, and got the, the story firsthand. But the night before they left to go on the boat, which in itself is a dangerous journey, the old man had a dream. Old man, he's about my age. Not old yet. Kind of. We're getting there. Um, we're not dead yet, though. Hallelujah. Um, and uh, he had a dream, and he was drowning, and a man... Shine, in shining clothes, came walking to him on the water. Who is that? <laughs> Who, who's the only one that walks on the water? Of course, it was Jesus. And he lifted him out, put him on dry land, showed him a cross and said, in this is your salvation. And then 
the guy kind of realized, he's from a Muslim background, doesn't know much, but he knew this was a Christian symbol. He knew about the Christian Messiah, Isa, uh, who, and he kind of thought this was, that, that was what it was all about. And um, he decided he wasn't going to go on the boat over to, this was a warning from God, so he didn't go over. The next day, the people smuggler came looking for them. You know, why didn't you get on the boat? Why didn't you get on the boat? The boat had sunk that night, and 18 people had died, drowned. They were really saved by the Lord. He realized, this is God is speaking to me. And um, anyway, long story short, they all got saved amazingly. And over the last few years, they've just told this story and started sharing with other refugees and, uh, and people coming over to, um, uh, from Syria especially, Kurdish people mainly, but from a Muslim background, and hundreds of people have come to the Lord. Amazing move of God. Hallelujah. God is doing amazing things. Amazing things. So I met with a number of these people and um, heard their stories and how, you know, Jesus had come to them in dreams and visions. And then this guy, now he's uh, this old granddad guy. God still uses old people, amen? All you old people expect God to use you all, all the days of your life, amen? And uh, he, he was telling us about, they've got four groupings now of believers um, and uh, they don't know how to lead them all. Uh, they haven't got any Christian background. Uh, the son is now kind of coming up to a place of leadership, of, of this, um, this move of God. It can only be described as a move of God. And by the grace of God, we've kind of been introduced to these people, and uh, we're supporting them, and we're determined to do all we can to help them establish, get established in the faith, and, uh, and, and, and just see God move more and more. So praise God. This is the kind of thing we're involved in. And it's very exciting, very demanding, uh, as you can imagine. And, uh, but uh, um, it's just a great privilege to be in the work of the Lord, isn't it? Whether it's here in the UK, whether it's in these more kind of... Sounds exotic and all these places sound amazing, but actually... Um, you know, they're often very squalid and rough and difficult places to, uh, to travel around in and, and meet together in. And, um, uh, but it's just amazing what God's doing. When you sit down with brothers and sisters who are, you know, who are now our brothers and sisters, you know, um, it's just humbling and amazing. We actually performed a, a wedding as well when we were there. Uh, their first Christian wedding, because they always have Muslim weddings. And, and when, they, when we were there, they said, would you marry this, this young couple? Uh, but they were Kurdish and they couldn't speak English or, you know. So we set up a, li a little kind of Zoom link with an Arab friend of ours who could translate the wedding service and he was speaking from the screen <laughs> and, uh, and this, uh, this wedding took place, first Christian wedding uh, in the name of Jesus. Before God, they made their vows, hallelujah. And uh, it's just a wonderful privilege in a basement room, out of sight, still very dangerous for them. <coughs> Kurds are not particularly welcome in Turkish places. 
uh, in Turkey, and um, uh, it's difficult for them, but God is moving amazingly among the, the kind of poorest, um, lowest, um, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, of people in the world. That's where God's at work today. God's at work at every level of society, but God has got his eye especially on the poor and the weak and the victims of injustice and the people that no one else cares for. You know, you have to see the news right now, the bombing and the terror that's going on in Syria again, in the northeast, northwest there. Um, and, uh, but God will be on the move in those places. God is meeting people in Syria. There is so many people coming to Christ amidst that kind of terror and destruction and awfulness. God is on the move. Hallelujah. Um, so, anyway, it's a privilege to be involved and helping where we can in the little ways that we can, but um, it's a blessing. Hallelujah. So, I was listening to a friend of mine who's in, uh, a pastor in uh, China, in, in the city where the, the, the coronavirus started. Um, amazing pastor with, I, I can't tell you the scale of what God has done through him, millions of people coming to Christ. Um, and he was addressing his flock on uh, um, whatever it was. And uh, I uh, was sent the link. And um, what struck me was he, because they can't meet as, as believers, they're all kind of, everyone's isolated and all that kind of stuff out in, in China. They've been persecuted. And he said, this is, this is what struck me. He said, though confronted with persecution and plague, we will not fear because Jesus Christ is with us and he's our Lord and Savior and our future and our lives are in his hands. Hallelujah. Though persecution and plague come against us. Amazing. Um, what people are going through, but are standing firm in Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, these are our brothers and sisters um, around the world. Hallelujah. So, bless you. We're going to read from John chapter 8 this morning. Um, and you'll know this story um, very well. Um, and it's the story of the... Um, this, these are the best stories, actually. There are some stories of what God's doing. But these are the, these are the stories of the Master, the Saviour. Amen? These are the best stories. And um, it's the story about when the adulterous woman caught in the act of adultery was thrown before Jesus, and um, they had to deal with this situation. So... John chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. Just the background of this, Jesus had been uh, preaching them for about two years, doing signs, wonders, amazing uh, miracles, uh, teaching the kingdom of God, uh, preaching about the love of God, the power of God, what God's really like, not just this distant, kind of angry, judgmental you know, deity in the sky, you know, kind of breathing out punishment and threats and, and uh, judgments. But God who loves 
people and Jesus demonstrated that throughout those years, healing the sick, bringing hope and comfort to uh, the multitudes, um, lifting people up, encouraging, inspiring hope, meeting their needs, feeding the 5,000, doing amazing things. And um, the crowds have began to gather to listen to Jesus, to see the miracles, to experience the miracles. God, may these days come again. Amen. It's what we're living for and praying to see the crowds come in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to get healed. Hallelujah. I'm convinced it's going to happen, even in my lifetime. Hallelujah. And of course, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were getting really uptight about this because Jesus was threatening their kind of monopoly on religion. They were the religious rulers. They controlled the people. They ruled the people using the law of Moses to kind of, you know, manipulate them and, and, and exert authority and put them down and maintain their control and dominance over the people. And Jesus was coming and speaking the love of God and the healing of God. And uh, the crowds were following them. They loved Jesus and their monopoly on religion was being challenged. And they were wanting to get rid of Jesus, this troublemaker, um, because they couldn't stand this kind of um, uh, uh, opposition. Although, of course, Jesus wasn't interested in political or religious power. He just wanted to meet people's needs and introduce them to the love of God on a personal level. Amen? Hallelujah. But the Pharisees were out to get him. And so after two years, they were just waiting for Jesus. Most of his miracles had been done in Galilee, in the north of Israel, because that was where he was born and grew up. And uh, if you read all the miracles of Jesus, most of them around the Lake of Galilee, that kind of area in the north. But they were waiting for him just to come to Jerusalem. And uh, if he came to Jerusalem, that was where they had to really stop him and, uh, and kind of get rid of him. And uh, there was this great feast of tabernacles, or Sukkoth, as the Jews call it, and a national celebration where the crowds gathered. And Jesus appeared on, uh, halfway through this feast and started um, teaching them. And the crowds were gathering around them, around Jesus. This is when Jesus spoke those immortal words, Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Hallelujah. And out of his innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. This is the message of Jesus. Come to me and I'll satisfy your inner needs. I'll satisfy the deepest longings and aspirations of your heart. I'll deal with the fear and the darkest parts of your heart. And I'll bring my light and I'll lift you up and I'll bless you and I'll be there for you. Hallelujah. That's the message of Jesus. Come to me, he always said. If you need help in your life today, whatever it is, come to Jesus. That will be the place when you meet with Jesus, that will be when you'll find some kind of solution to your problem and your need. And we've all been there. I've been there many times in my life. And I've never found Jesus fail me 
or let me down. He's always been there for me. He's always come to me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. He's refreshed me from the inside. He's lifted my worries and fears, dealt with my guilt and shame. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Washed me afresh, lifted me up, healed me when I've been sick. Hallelujah. Come to Jesus. Right? That's the place where you'll really have, that's the place of miracle. This is what Jesus said all the time. Come to me and I'll give you rivers of living water in your soul. Hallelujah. The Pharisees, though, were madder than ever. They sent the temple police to arrest him and shut him up. The crowds were so great they couldn't get through. They came back to the Pharisees and said, we can't get to him, we'll cause a riot if we arrest the guy. And so the Pharisees had to dream up another solution of stopping Jesus. So at the end of the day, Jesus, and this is where this story starts, he went off to the Mount of Olives to spend the night, lovely place, um, where the weather's nice, you could sleep under the trees, that's where Jesus used to spend much of his evening, his evenings and through the night, that was where the Garden of Gethsemane is, um, he was very familiar with the, 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 the Mount of Olives and um, so this is where the story starts. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is, with, is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What a great story. Brilliant way in which Jesus dealt with the, uh, with the Pharisees. But to stone or not to stone, that was the, that was the question. Incidentally, See, the Pharisees realized they couldn't just arrest Jesus, so now they were going to try and ruin his reputation in front of all the crowd. And so they dreamed up this little trap to try and get Jesus to compromise himself and, and, uh, and to uh, make a decision that, would, you know, that they thought was a no-win decision. And, uh, and that's what they were trying to do, but... But first of all, let's notice that the Pharisees were 
actually violating the very law they were trying to invoke against Jesus. Right? The law says we should stone a woman caught in the act of adultery. What do you say? Uh, And, you know, they were actually violating the, the law of Moses themselves. Because the law actually says, if, if there's we, the, um, both the man and the woman caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. And the question is, where's the man? They just took the weakest lady, whatever. The whole thing might have just been trumped up anyway. Dreamed up, might not have been real anyway. But... Uh, They weren't interested in the law of Moses. They just wanted to trap Jesus. Do you see? You kind of get get the story. They weren't interested in the woman. And just let me say this, that anyone that speaks in the name of religion and does things to women in the name of religion, where they put down women, use women, abuse them, treat them as though they're dirt, doesn't matter to them, they were cold-hearted, pitiless. They didn't care less whether the woman was killed or not. They didn't care whether she was stoned to death or not. They weren't interested in the woman, they just wanted to use her to trap Jesus. And we want to declare, don't we, and agree together that we have a higher understanding of male and female than that, don't we? Women are equal together. We were created equal man and woman in, by God himself with equal dignity, with equal standing before God. We are equal in the eyes of God. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men, right? We all are on the same level, we shouldn't ever, men, uh, take advantage of those, the weaker gender, the weaker sex, even if I can say that word in today's kind of debate about sex and gender. We should honour and lift up women at all times, be polite, respectful, con- confer dignity and care for and be kind at all times, in what we say and do and think when it comes to dealing with women. Amen? We should never use our, use that as an art, an, especially from, from a religious point of view. We are all equal in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. And thank God that's becoming more and more recognized and known around the world the world, even where it's abused and women are taken, treated disgustingly. We should never do that or engage in that or imply that or anything. Amen? Let us honour one another. Let us treat every single person, whatever their background, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their race, whatever the colour of their skin, whatever background or station they have in life, we are all equal. And everyone should be honoured and respected and loved and cared for, whatever their background. Amen? Let us really be a people of love and 
care and kindness, which is so in short supply in the, in the world today. So the question is, should, should they stone? Should Jesus stone? What was he going to say? You can imagine all eyes were on Jesus. What's he going to say? If he said, right, the law says she should be stoned, let's stone her. That would have kind of completely compromised and gone against everything he taught about the love of God and the kindness of God and the caring of God and the forgiveness of God. Uh, if he suddenly now said, no, stone, you know, that would have just been such a contrast of everything that he taught up to that point in time. And so his reputation, he would, have, he would have lost his authenticity. He would have lost his reputation in, in the eyes. No one could, you know, what, what was he for? Was he for the kindness of God or, or the judgment of God, the harsh judgment of God? He would have, if he, if he said stone her, he would have lost all credibility in the eyes of the people. Very cunning, very clever kind of trap they were setting him. If, on the other hand, he just said, no, it's okay, just let her go. The law doesn't matter. Um, you know, God loves her anyway. Doesn't matter. What we need to understand is the place of the law in the nation, in, in the kind of eyes of, of the nation of Israel at that time, and even to some extent today. But it was the central part of their nationhood. Their nationhood revolved around the law. The law shaped their nation, nationhood. Right from the beginning when Moses brought the law of God down the mountain and presented it to them, it was the law that governed national life. It was the highest thing in their thinking. And you'll notice whenever Jesus spoke about the law, he never came against the law. We somehow think sometimes that Jesus just disregarded the law. He never spoke disrespectfully about the law. What he did was lift the law up to a higher level. He tried to show people what God actually intended through the law. So when the law said, you know, you shall not kill, Jesus said, you shall not hate one another. Because that's where murder starts. It starts in the heart. Do you see what I mean? He's lifting the law to a higher level. He's showing people what God intended, how God intended to live. He always said that the law's never going to pass away. Not one jot or tittle of it's going to pass away. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. So he always spoke respectfully about the law because this was the law of God after all. <laughs> Jesus wasn't against the law. It gives us an understanding of the moral standards of a holy God. Hallelujah. And that's still the case today. It just doesn't give us the power to obey, the, to obey it and make it happen. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. So we can live in harmony with the righteous standards of God. Amen. And so Jesus was not about, if Jesus had said, oh, look, it doesn't matter, just uh, the law is irrelevant, he would have also lost all credibility if he gave that answer. And so they thought, right, we've got the guy. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? You can imagine all eyes on Jesus. Moment of high drama. The crowds are kind of peering over the 
each other's shoulders. And then Jesus didn't say a word. I love the way Jesus dealt with attacks like this. He just bent over and started with his finger writing in, in the dust. Hallelujah. Quietly as silence fell on the crowd. What's going to happen? You can imagine them all peering over each other's shoulders. What's he writing? What's he saying? What's, what's this all about? And the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. <laughs> How annoying that is. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I think he wrote. Right, but this is just my speculation. Okay, so don't think that I'm... You know, anyway, this is my, my idea also. Anyway, so I think he wrote this. He wrote in the dust, she is guilty. And you can imagine the crowds going, are we going to stone her? You can imagine them all starting picking up the stones, the rocks. She's guilty. Wow. And then Jesus stands up in front of the woman. I mean, this is courage. This is moral courage of the highest order. And it's the just amazing courage. The woman behind him, protecting the woman. The crowd baying for her blood. The Pharisees thinking, we've got him at last. And he looks them in the eye and just says, whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. Wow, what genius. What amazing wisdom. This is... This is Jesus, this is why, you know, this is the Son of God we're talking about. Jesus was the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's unique, fully man, fully God. He's moving in divine wisdom and divine authority and divine bravery. Hallelujah. What a Savior. There's no one like Jesus. No one comes up with the answers that he came up with. No one came up with the simple truth that not, is not just something to be thought about, but something that cuts right to the heart. When Jesus speaks, he speaks to our hearts. Amen? We've got to have our hearts open to the Lord. Not, not just, oh, what, what did he mean by that? Let's have a, you know, go and study theology for three years to understand it receive the word of God in your heart if you're doing studying theology God bless you we need that as well not diminishing that the importance of that at all but what we need to be is a people of the heart amen God moves us in our hearts when there's inescapable truth when you can't get round it, you can't argue against it, you can't dismiss it, he who is without sin <laughs> cast the first stone. Brilliant! This is the Master. This is the Lord of glory. This is the Son of God. This is the Saviour. Speaking the truth of God, the highest wisdom that man has ever spoken. Hallelujah! This is the one we serve and worship. Amen. No one like Jesus.
Blessed be his name forever and ever. Amen? You can hear all the rocks thudding on the ground as they started letting go of the rocks. Hear thud, thud, thud. Wow, everyone's challenged. And actually, if you think about it, Jesus was the only one who could have cast the first stone. Because he was without sin. Whoever is without sin, let him cut. He could have, he was the only one qualified to, to stone the woman. But he didn't. He didn't choose to do it. Because there's a higher way that God deals with us. Hallelujah. Beautiful. And the crowd begin to kind of turn around. And, they're all, and then Jesus bends over and starts writing in the dust again. They all stop. What's he writing this time? I think he wrote the second time. She is forgiven. Hallelujah. Amazing. She is guilty. She's forgiven. Hallelujah. And they all kind of, the crowd disperses. They can't stand up against the the wisdom and the compassion, the logic and the kindness of the Master. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Everyone goes away. The woman's there on her own. She's kind of struggled to her feet by this time, standing before Jesus. Jesus said, does no one condemn you? She said, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Hallelujah. Go and leave your life of sin. You know, my guess is she left her life of sin after that. Because she was touched by the Master's kindness and forgiveness. Amazing. I tell you, that's what lifts us to a higher level. Not that we become kind of better, more righteous people, but the Master says to us, you are forgiven. Hallelujah. I tell you, when the Master says to us, you are forgiven, you really are forgiven. Hallelujah. I could say, oh, you're forgiven, forget it, it doesn't matter. And what good would that do? But when the Master, the Saviour, says, you are forgiven, you really are forgiven. You are not guilty. See, Jesus doesn't condone sin. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say it's okay to continue in sin. He doesn't condone sin, but neither does he condemn sin. Hallelujah. Rather, he says, he says, I haven't come to condemn the world. I've come so that through me the world might have life. He says, you're forgiven. He came to provide forgiveness for humanity. Hallelujah. Men and women like us. Hallelujah. What a saviour. We need to hear individually in our lives the Master's voice that says, your sin is forgiven. 
That's the only way you'll deal with sin. That's the only way you'll overcome sin. That's the only way you'll be free from condemnation. That's the only way you'll have a clear conscience despite your sin in the background. It's the only way you'll deal with guilt and shame and the fear of punishment when things go wrong. Is this God punishing me? No, it's not God punishing you. Might be disciplining you for a time, for a season. Thank God for his discipline. Amen? I've walked with the Lord many years. Thank God for his discipline. Thank God he doesn't let you get away with your stupid ideas and your foolish tendency towards doing the wrong thing. Thank God he disciplines us and brings us back. Thank God he's like a father who disciplines us. He's not like an angry judge punishing us for our sin and looking for ways in which to inflict damage and pain and hurt in our lives. That's not God. Hallelujah. We need to hear the Master say, you're forgiven. I don't condemn you. Thank God. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is it who condemns you? Jesus Christ justifies you. How does he justify? That great word in Galatians and other places, justification. What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means Jesus saying, you are forgiven. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's justification. Blessed be his name. I love this stuff. It's life-changing. It's meat and drink. It's joy and peace. It's confidence in life. When you know you're justified, forgiven, despite all the terrible things you've done. Only God can do this for us through Jesus Christ. I know time has gone. Can you just give me a few minutes just to finish this off? Because it even gets more beautiful than this. This little story. See, Jesus stood between the crowds and the woman defending her. Jesus still defends us in two ways. Like he defended her from the angry mob. He defended her at her point of need, at her lowest point. He looked after her. Hallelujah. We can expect Jesus to defend us and look after us in our lives today. He will defend us from the evil one, all the strategies and ploys and fiery darts of the enemy. He will protect us. He will look after us. He will carry us and care for us tenderly on his shoulders. It says in Isaiah, he'll carry us. Hallelujah. Do you need defending this morning? He's here for you. He is here for you. Cast all your cares on him. And I know some of you obviously have been carrying cares and wounds and pains. God bless you. But the master knows all about it. He will carry you. He will look after you. He will bring good out of what seems tragic 
He will do it. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Expect him to protect you. I couldn't tell you how many times I've stood in need of someone to defend me and look after me when the lies and accusations of people come your way when people don't know your heart and you feel wounded and upset and cheated. (laughs) You ever known that in life? He's there for you. And you can trust him to be your shield and your high tower. Hallelujah. That that in itself is fantastic, is it not? Where else are you going to get defended by? (laughs) He's, He's... Hallelujah. Turn to him in your time of need. But even better than that, you know, you know, we serve a holy God, right? Who is righteously indignant and angry about our sin. And the only way he can consistently deal with sin is by judging it and getting rid of it and dealing with it. And in a very real way, what Jesus did before that woman, he was foreshadowing what he was going to do on the cross. When he died on the cross, he stood between a righteous, holy God and humankind, sinful humankind like us. And he diverted the punishment and the anger, the righteous anger of a holy God against sin. He diverted that punishment away from us. He protected us. Hallelujah. He stood in there. He hung there instead of us. And he diverted the anger of God onto himself. He bore the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. Hallelujah. He defends us from the anger of a holy God. The righteous anger of a holy God. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Thank God for the beauty. This, I mean, this is why we want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Because there's no one like Jesus. No other religion can do what Jesus can do for us, for humanity. Hallelujah. Thank God for stories like this in the Bible. Don't just read them quickly. Look at them. Think about them. What's God saying to you about? What Do you need to hear the Master say your sins are forgiven? No condemnation. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you. You are such a great church. I know you're a great missionary church. Though Simon's just come back with his team from Uganda. You've got a harvest field right here to reap. And you will reap and grow. And God will extend your influence in the locality and to the ends of the earth. God bless you. May you continue to honour him, walk with him, 
serve him with all your hearts. Amen. Let's stand together in the presence of God. Thank you for your patience to listen so kindly. Father God, we do thank you for this amazing gift of Jesus, the Lord, the Savior. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you and worship you and honor you. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, those that need defending right now, protecting, carrying. Lord, I pray that you will, be to, you will come close and be to them all that they need right now at this point in their lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, just right now, minister that hope and that faith, that comfort, that healing, right now into our hearts. Speak your word into situations, Lord. Bring about resolution, provision. Hallelujah. Lord, most of all, we want to just thank you that you, you hung there on the cross. You, you stood before us, between us and the righteous anger of a holy God. You diverted the punishment of God onto yourself. You made the atoning sacrifice for sin. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Bless this church. Bless this church, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, all, every aspiration, every hope, every vision in every heart, every sense of calling of people in this room who want to serve you and do something for you, Lord, bring it to fruition. Open doors of opportunity. Let this church grow and extend the kingdom of God around this whole area. Bless them amazingly, not just averagely. Lord, amazingly, above what they ask or think. Lord, beyond, above, in Jesus' name, to the glory of your name. We pray, amen, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you.